I'm Daystar Eld. And I'm Alexander Wales. And this is episode 17, Serial Fiction, part 2. So, size. How big should A, serials be, and then B, chapters be? And it sort of depends on schedule. I guess let's start with the micro, because we're, we're talking about publishing, like getting chapters up. Yeah. The idea, like you said, of knowing how much you output per day, per week, is obviously really important. If you know that it, you're a slower writer, maybe you have a lot of research for your writing, like you're doing something very heavy sci-fi or something that is going to take you a lot of extra hours researching per week, then take that into account too, right? Like don't just go based off of your best word count per week. Right. There are some stories that do naturally lend themselves to smaller chapters. I kind of envy those stories. I, I feel like I can't write a chapter that's that's too small or doesn't feel like a chapter, and then I end up writing chapters that are just way too long, and, and that's a whole different issue, but there's some stories that if you know that you can you can get away with the 5,000 words, 4,000 words every chapter, that helps a lot in planning out how often you're going to schedule. Yeah. If there's like an a- action beats that often, or turning important points in the story that often. Yeah. When I think about size of like a chapter, it's more like you don't want a chapter so long that people get like Halfway through or two-thirds of the way through, and then they're like looking at the scroll bar on the side, <laughs> trying to think, how, how long do I have left? Or they have to cut it short because their like, reading session wasn't that long, or they get distracted or something. So that's your sort of upper bound, and then your lower bound is whether someone can like sink their teeth into it. Right. Because if you're reading a story serially, instead of, I mean, you, you want to set up a story that survives the binge read at least a 30 minute lunch break duration yeah um but so like the i think it's fine to have small chapters you just need to make sure that if someone's coming in because it like came up on their reader or they decide to check the website you want to sort of ease them into into the world again Mm -hmm. because they've left for a week or a month or whatever and they don't necessarily remember everything and they're not necessarily in the right headspace for reading right and that's partly a an issue of how you write, but I think that if you're doing a like 500 word chapter, which some people do, I mean you can you can write serial on on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I've seen people do that, or they just write like a line at a time. That seems infuriating to me, but <laughs> you want to make sure that you're sort of accommodating the reader so they have a good experience. Web comics are web comics are an interest parallel to this because obviously when they publish, they publish one comic at a time. And by webcomics, I mean less the comedic ones and more the storytelling ones. And I've never followed a storytelling webcomic update to update. I always wait a while until there's a a bit of a backlog so I can kind of spend a reading session going through uh, what I've missed. Because if it's too short, then I I just feel like it's too stop and go. Yeah, I'm the same way. There's a a distinction in serial where we'll talk about this for structure, but uh, there's a distinction between like episodic and sort of continuous yeah, yeah. as far as structure goes. And you, if you're more on the episodic side, I think that you can s- skate by with doing less in the way of like introduction and easing people back in. Yeah. So 
as far as the uh, like larger size, like how long should a serial be when completed? Right. So in my view, what helps stand serials apart from published fiction is that you can go way longer than a, a physical copy will be. And obviously, I come from the perspective of longer is better. That's my story. I enjoyed Worm. I never really felt like you know it was going on for too long, but I know many people did. And so... As an upper bound, I think Worm works. I'm sure there are stories out there that are longer, but, you know, it's Worm still manages to be incredibly popular despite how long it is. And in terms of lower bound, I don't really think there is one. Like, you can write a you can write an 80,000-word story on, on the internet uh, one chapter at a time. Uh, it's just, again, like, is, are you writing it as a standalone novel that has a self-contained ending and then continues as a second one? Or is it just the entire thing? Yeah, and I think there's I think there's something to be said as far as structure goes into having a long serial that's sort of divided up into distinct arcs, right? That you you know if you're doing like five thousand word chapters or ten thousand word chapters, and then you just after you know eight or ten of them, you have like a definitive okay this this long thing has concluded, mm-hmm. and we're at a sort of stopping point i think it's it as far as maximum length goes it's much more a question of execution than anything else right because you know when people are watching tv shows no one really complains that a tv show has gotten too many seasons they complain that the tv <laughs> so, show has lost the plot so yeah this is, this is what i was going to say about the, the looking at it the macro sense if you have a ending in mind when you start even if it's loose and and not particular like if you have the map in your mind more or less complete even if there's lots of holes in it and lots of space between the major points don't worry too much about how long it takes to get there yeah but if you if you've got the map more or less in your mind regardless of how much how many holes are in it or how much space is between each point don't worry about how long the story is going to be because you've got the the major points that you want to reach and you've got the ending in mind if you don't then you then you've got more of an issue in terms of how potentially meandering it's going to get yeah and and don't don't ever stretch for word count <laughs> right that's that's one of the, i mean even if you're not writing serially that's one of the worst things that you can do if you're like oh well the story is sixty thousand words i need to pad but I, I need yeah. it to be like seventy thousand words so i'm just gonna have ten thousand words where nothing happens that's where tv shows very much get into trouble especially american tv shows house of cards mm-hmm. has like just in the title is this, I've talked about this before, but just in the title is this premise that this house of cards is being built up and it's going to fall. And the, the British series was three seasons and the American adaptation is going into its fifth season now. And it's very much suffering for the fact that they just want more seasons or they just want to keep going. Yeah. This is a commercial concern. The commercial aspect is interfering with the artistic aspect because there's so many TV shows, like you said, it's not that they had too many seasons and people were irritated, it's that the writers clearly were forcing it to have more seasons than it should have. Or their vision for the for the seasons weren't as strong as their original ones, because there are shows like Battlestar Galactica, uh, How I Met Your Mother, stuff like that, where the writers clearly had a ending in mind. Um, you know, it's not it's not necessarily that they couldn't think of what the ending might be, but because of the success of the shows, they ended up pushing that ending off farther and farther because they could. The structure of the story didn't have those 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 beacons along the way to the ending point. 
those those check marks where they were like, all right, we're going to get reach this point, and then we're going to reach this point, and then we're going to reach this point, and then we're going to get to the end. It was just kind of a, we start here, we end there, and all the middle stuff we'll just figure out as we go. And as they got more commercially successful and they needed to keep the show going because that's how you make more fame and money, they just kept on adding on more random shit in the middle. And yeah. I think this happens to a remarkable amount of TV shows, and it's why a remarkable amount of them have middling or even entire second halves of the entire series that are not as strong. What bugs me the most is that they will sort of have a strong start, and then they'll have a sort of bad middle, and then it'll be canceled without a resolution. That's sort of a television thing that's, I don't want to say unavoidable, but is a natural consequence of the way television is made. Right. At least in America. it's British television is much better about it. So in, in writing serial fiction, you know, when you're when you're planning out your story and, and deciding it's going to be separate books or one long, continuous story, just be aware that if you don't have the structure in your mind early on, you do run the risk of, of going out, out into the weeds. And that's yeah. that's kind of more of an issue for certain kinds of uh, fiction more than others because there are some series that will, like you said, they'll just lose they'll they'll lose their readership or their viewership, or whatever it is, and get canceled if they if they're bad for long enough. Although on the other hand, there's also other stories like uh, Wheel of Time that people were saying in the comments of the last podcast that there's like five books in the middle of, those, of the series that are just terrible, and then it picks up good again. Yeah. And so yeah. I don't know how many I don't know how many readers they lost in those five, five bad books. I've pushed through quite a few bad books and series that I love just to keep going with them. But I'm sure there's many other people who who don't, and and they, and you lose those you lose those readers and viewers when you when you do that. Yeah. Well, that's actually that's actually one of the benefits of serial fiction is that mm-hmm. you get people invested, and then they'll keep reading <laughs> even if it's bad. Yeah. More of a, a dark side benefit. Yeah, that's like the the dark side psychology of serial fiction. Yep. So serial structure, I think, is the last thing that we need to properly talk about. Is um, so in television, you have this distinction between a show like The Simpsons, which has very little in the way of continuity. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of a setting, and then they they do a thing with the setting, and then the next episode, it, all of that is well. forgotten. Yeah. For the most part. I, I mean, The Simpsons has been running long enough. They have a few continuity things included now. but Flanders' wife dies. and Yeah. yeah. And then on the other end of it, you have a show like uh, Breaking Bad, which you could not watch Breaking Bad out of order because everything is sort of this continuous movement, even though there are like there are like distinct sections of it that sort of divide it. In, into seasons, you could not watch it like in syndication out of order. Right. Just oh, Breaking Bad's on. Let me watch this episode. Mm-hmm. I guess. Let's <laughs> like you. You might get some enjoyment out of just watching an episode here and there without knowing the wider plot, but it'll be nowhere near as engrossing. Yeah. And and so there's also the sort of derogatory term monster of the week, mm-hmm. which applies very much to TV shows, but I think also shows up in like web fiction to some extent as well, uh, where you just have, oh, this chapter, we're going to fight this thing, and then we're going to move on to the next thing. Right. And that's sort of the way you're structuring your plot, and then no one really likes it. But um, the reason that you do that is because it keeps giving you a self-contained story, which right. is good if you're trying to pull people in. Because let's say that you 
have like 200,000 words or something and you give people that first chapter and they get a little self-contained story and it's good enough that they like it. That's going to, you know, I mean, we're talking to some extent dark side psychology here. You're, you're pulling them in and you're giving them a story mm-hmm. and then you're saying, hey, there's more story. <laughs> you liked that. How, why don't you just like get invested in the serial and then keep reading these stories? Right. And that, that that's why so many television shows start. They start out with the monster of the week thing and then they sort of tie it into their myth arc mm-hmm. and then they they go more uh, they, they they start putting in longer and longer story yeah. arcs yeah also one of the issues that has to be touched on with the structure and size idea is when you've got the ongoing story and you don't have a clear path forward your characters eventually are going to either stagnate or start cycling and both of those aren't very good uh, there are very few writers who I believe can really nail serial fiction character development. Um, Jim Butcher is one of them. The Dresden Files is is probably the the best example just off the top of my head that I can I've I've ever seen, where the character continues to grow in believable organic ways. The characters around the main character continue to grow in believable and organic ways. Meredith Gentry and and Anita Blake, another two modern supernatural series that I loved. They definitely go in the weeds later in the series. They get kind of crazy and, and kind of bad in a lot of different ways. And the character do good growth early and then do the whole cycling slash stagnating thing. Yeah. Uh, serial stories, serial TV shows do this all the time. The characters will, will kind of start making the same mistakes they did earlier in the season or the series or the, the lessons that they supposedly should have learned early on. They some For some reason, they, they're just getting tripped up by them again just because they the, the writers need new conflict. And they can't keep using the same old conflict without it becoming problematic, but they don't really have any other ideas. And that's that's something that you really got to watch out for when you're doing serial fiction. Because if you don't have a clear ending in place and a clear character arc in place, and you're just writing to keep the story going, either your characters aren't growing, or they've grown to the point that they need to grow. And, you know, like this isn't to say that character growth has to end. Like, no one's ever becomes perfect. There's always different ways for a character to grow. But that's hard to do. And the easy option is to just have them stagnate or start cycling. And so it, you've got to be really focused on and, and dedicated to solving that problem appropriately. Yeah. So to, to go back to our story structure episode, um, I talked about the, the story circle method. Mm-hmm. I think the, you know, the ideal way to do it is to have, have each chapter or each episode or whatever sort of encompass a full story that then gives you incremental progress on the season-wide arc, and then each season gives you incremental progress on the entire story mm-hmm. arc. That is not an easy thing to do, but I think that's how you would ideally do it if you were like really trying to do it. It's how I'm trying to structure Glimmord, and I, my success there is to be determined, but it's sort of the, the idea that you're breaking the entire work out into it's like eight component parts, as you go through this journey and then the first arc is just that first part of the journey and then within that you have you're breaking that first arc out into eight different parts or i mean do whatever story structure you Mm -hmm. really like but that's i think the way to sort of get around it because you're always making some kind of progress then right and so the other way is that you can like back to the future does this where the first movie is self-contained basically mm-hmm. and then they just have this sort of like tag at the end no oh, it's not you marty it's your kids 
We're, we're going, we don't need roads, whatever. You put the hook in. Yeah, that, that's the hook, but they didn't have anything planned after that. Um, they just had this first movie. They didn't know it was going to be successful or anything. I think that's a really good way to have a first chapter, is that you fully resolve something, and then you have, like, a hook at the end. Because your first chapter, I think, is the most important in a serial mm-hmm. of any kind. But what Back to the Future does is then it sort of sets up its next two movies as a two-parter. Right, that they don't, right. they're not self-contained. They don't work without each other. And this is a very common structure you see in, in Star Wars and things like that too. Yeah, The Matrix had a, like first complete movie and then two sequels that are sort of filmed back to back. You know what you mentioned earlier, the way you try to forget Fifty Shades of Grey every so often. Yeah. Until you mentioned yeah. that, I completely forgot The Matrix had sequels. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But Back to the Future introduces this character flaw in Marty that he had not had before, which is that he like doesn't like being called Chicken. And this was never brought up in the first movie. This was not like a thing then. And then they sort of added in because they need they need this arc for him to complete over the next two movies right. so that he can have more character growth. I don't think that that is the way that you want to do it, but it, it's at least showing forward progress on the character. You don't want to introduce character flaw just, you know, that wasn't clearly there before, but you can kind of. You can kind of make your excuses, I guess. Right. I think most people don't notice that about Back to the Future, right? I mean, I certainly didn't. In my mind, him being upset at being called a chicken started from the beginning. Yeah. Right? Like, in my memory, that's just the way it worked. And, yeah, like, it's it's not something that we really pay attention to unless you focus on that. Yeah. I think weaving conflicts in is an important skill that you want to learn if you're going to write serial. Because, like, if you look at Worm... A lot of the, like, you you complete an arc, and then you start a new arc, Mm -hmm. and you have to inject new characters and new conflict that wasn't originally there. Right. Just to sort of, ideally you foreshadow it quite a bit, but it's so that you can continue your arcs as sort of discrete things so that you give more of a sense of of forward motion. Right. And I guess those are the two two major struggles in, in serial fiction, I would say, is... Knowing how to continuously inject new conflicts into your story in, in engaging ways, and knowing how to continuously develop your characters, yeah, rather than have them get stuck in cycles or or stagnate. Yeah, and I think that that's one of the reasons that adventure quests are very common for serials because it sort of gives you this natural, you know, people are going from town to town or place to place, and things are happening along the way. Mm-hmm. I've not actually read the Dark Tower series, but it's sort of my understanding that they're going from place to place. Yeah, there's a goal in mind, and they are trying to move towards that goal. But each book is essentially a different setting that they're that they're moving through. Right, and that's a very good way to do the injection of conflict and the injection of sort of change. Is that you move to a new area and you get to introduce new characters and new conflicts, and then at the end of your arc or your book or whatever. You get to resolve them. Yep. Uh, that's how the Harry Potter books are are set up. Is every year they go into the new year, they have new professors, they have new subjects, that, and then there's like some new event that's part of that school year. Yeah. Until like the book seven, where it's sort of that structure sort of breaks down. Mm. It's a good way to it's cap kind of off things. Yeah. Yeah. Jim Butcher has announced that. 20 books and then capped off with a three-book apocalyptic trilogy, each book of which is going to be less self-contained than all the previous books were, but which in which like a lot of the rules kind of get thrown out the window and crazy stuff happens, and you kind of have that that last Harry Potter book feeling. Yeah, which I think I think Harry. I mean, I've not 
I think the the last book is my least favorite Harry Potter book, but I think that the idea of sort of going off and throwing away your rules, right. I think that's a really good way to end a series. The last book definitely feels less like a Harry Potter book than all the other Harry Potter books do, which right. I think is like why a lot of people dislike it compared to the other ones. In theory, in my mind, the last book should have been my favorite one because there are brief scenes in which the actual real world, quote unquote, is encroached upon by the magical world. Like, they escape to just a random street in London at one point, and uh, they walk into, like, a diner, and, and they're just kind of sitting there wondering if, if Death Eaters are going to come, and eventually they do, and they have, like, a quick duel in the in the diner or something. And, like, that's the kind of scene that I would have loved to see more of in, in Harry Potter, but obviously because it's set in a wizarding school, you don't really you don't really see stuff like that happening. Yeah, and I think if Harry Potter had gone on, you know, if Harry Potter had not been capped at seven books, which it, you know, now kind of is not. Yeah, um, that's, uh, <laughs> this is going to be, a, this is going to be a matrix thing for me. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. But if, if Harry Potter, if the Harry Potter story had not been right. capped at seven books, I mean, there is a, a setting transition that you can do that introduces so much new stuff, yeah. right? They yeah. get to the end of book seven, you know, they, they graduate school, they, defeat all the evil in the world or whatever. And then they go into like government positions yep. and Harry's like a private. See what it's like to be an R. Yeah. Yeah. I w- yeah. I would have loved the next series of Harry Potter to have been just Harry Potter going through R training. Like that would have been great. Yeah. But, but that's how you can sort of make that pivot into, you know, I've resolved this big thing and now I keep going because yeah. I'm a serial and I don't need to end. They tend to call those also, um, sequel series. Um, yeah, you've got the first seven books as one series, and then a sequel series of, of Harry. Uh, Percy Jackson does this with um, the first five books are one, and the second five books are another, and it works really well. Uh, there's like a time gap between them, so like the characters have kind of grown up a little bit, introduce a bunch of new characters and a whole new pantheon and everything. Yeah, so it's a way to shake things up. I think that's a very good serial skill yeah. to learn. I intend to do a sequel series to Shadows of the Limelight. At some point, but it, it it's the same sort of thing where you complete your one story, but then you can keep going with it. Right. Which is just a, a, a sort of different way of breaking your story structure into chunks that I think is good from a authorial perspective and from a reader perspective. Yeah. So that about covers serial fiction for now. Thanks for listening, everyone, and tune in next time for our first guest episode where Eagle Yarl joins us to talk about writer's block. And stay tuned after the outro music for a quick message. Hey everyone, no book recommendation this week, just a state of the union for the podcast. We've enjoyed doing it a lot, and so far the feedback has been pretty great. Over the past month, we've been consistently getting over 2,000 combined downloads and plays per episode, which is awesome, especially since it's in the ballpark of the numbers where advertisers start to pay attention. Now, ideally, I'd like to keep the podcast as ad-free as possible. That's why we decided to only put the Audible ads after the outro music and pair them with a relevant book recommendation. Unfortunately, over the past few months since we started advertising, we haven't had a single referral with them yet, which is totally okay. I kind of figured that Audible would be an oversaturated market to advertise for, considering our audience. But on the off chance any of you haven't signed up for it, thanks to one of the other podcasts you listen to, 
or just from your own personal use, I want to just reiterate that it's a free 30-day trial. You can cancel at any time, and it gives you a free book credit you can use on whatever you want. You keep the audiobook even if you cancel the subscription right afterward, and not having a subscription doesn't stop you from using Audible as a store and listening app. But even a quick sign-up and cancellation still supports the show and helps turn this passion project from a time and money sink into just a time sink. So if you can spare the time and haven't signed up for Audible before, it would be greatly appreciated. If you already have an Audible account but want to support the show in other ways, fear not. We have show notes for each episode on the pages at daystoryl.com, and in those show notes are links to most of the stories and movies that we mention in the episodes. If there are books or shows that are available on Amazon, clicking the links there will take you to the site through our affiliate ID, which makes us a bit of commission each time you buy something in that session. It's not much. Uh, So far, I think the two of us could split a soda if we ever meet up and want to cash in on the affiliate commission, but it's still a great morale boost to see people enjoying the podcast enough to look into the things we talk about. And finally, if you don't have any spare money to buy new books and already have an Audible account, you can help us out by sharing the podcast with reader or writer friends and family. It's a niche audience, to be sure, but the best way the community can grow is by exposure, and if you have an iTunes account or review on there, it would be greatly appreciated. Thanks again for listening, and to our patrons, thank you for your continued support.